the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Here we go! Welcome to Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Sutton and Janelle Attorneys at Law. Visit their new location at 224 West King Street, Martinsburg, and online at suttonandjanelle.com. Here are your hosts of the 2022 WVBA Talk Show of the Year, Jordan Warner and Marsha Kavalik. It is Wednesday the 11th, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton & Janelle, full-service law firms from West Virginia and Maryland, helping individuals, families, businesses with all of their legal needs, family law, criminal defense, DUI, personal injury, mediation. They provide legal counsel tailored to you. You can visit their historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I'm Jordan Nice Warner. Marsha's out for the week. But don't forget, you can always get in touch with me, join the conversation. You can call me or text me at 304-263-4321, 304 304-263- Two six three four three two one, and I'm going to tell you what I was not expecting it to be as cold as it was this morning. It took me a little uh, longer than anticipated to get in here because, uh, well, the windshield was frozen, and you'd think at this point in the uh, in the winter that I would have bought a ice scraper and not just be continuously trying to use a CD case to uh, clear the ice off my windshield. But it works nonetheless, although I think a couple of my neighbors think I look uh, pretty crazy uh, using whatever random CD case I can find uh, to clear that off. But nonetheless, hope you had a great start to your morning. Uh, Of course, if you were tuned into Panhandle Sports Live, hope you didn't have your uh, morning start like Parker Stones did, uh, being (laughs) rear-ended as he came into the the station. But luckily, all parties involved were fine. I believe all Cars are fine. Uh, they said they kind of exchanged the information and all was good. So, uh, well, hopefully uh, you didn't have to start off your day uh, getting rear-ended by somebody going into work. But uh, let's get a quick news roundup here. Of course, a little bit later on in the show, we'll be chatting with some of the folks from Berkeley County Schools talking about equity and inclusion, which is a uh, pretty big uh, thing nowadays, especially with uh, you have a lot of lead equity teachers in a lot of these schools. And uh, maybe if you haven't heard about any of that so far, or maybe you're unfamiliar with it, uh, we'll get some insight on that with some of the folks from Berkeley County Schools a little bit later on. But speaking of uh, schools, let's talk about Jefferson County schools because uh, a couple of days ago at their Monday night meeting uh, had a couple of pretty big topics to talk about and Dirk Webb discussed uh, you know an exciting new program that's going to be at the high school level talking about medical technology. This is a unique two-year program for our juniors and seniors during their junior year. They're going to take two courses through Blue Ridge CTC and they're going to complete a variety of field experiences in the hospital. Their senior year, which would be considered their second year, students will either be able to select a laboratory tech or the patient care tech, and then their senior year will be focused on that direct pathway. Now, the program is between Jefferson County Schools, Blue Ridge Technical Institute, and WV Medical, which I think is a a huge thing for the area. Now, this is going to offer students full-time employment at the end of the program. I'll repeat that. This program is offering students full-time employment. By the end of the program, which is critical. I mean, my goodness, you remember going to, uh, you know, being in high school and not, you know, knowing what you were going to do once you came out of school, or maybe you had an idea but didn't quite, you know, know how to 
I don't know, kind of get to that end goal that you're looking for. Of course, you know, going to college or going to a uh, institute, something like that to kind of further your education. But this is huge. Get that experience while, uh, you know, you're in school and then have that once you get out of school. And uh, with the medical field now, uh, there's so many, of course, with COVID and all the different variants. Apparently, I saw Ebola start to, you know, rear its ugly head yet again, which uh, I never thought I would say that one. Uh, Although I guess this is like the third or fourth time now that Ebola has started to come back into the news. Uh, But the medical industry is big, especially around here here you got a lot of hospitals and of course close to dc baltimore philadelphia richmond those kind of places that are big uh, medical areas so i think that is a uh, a huge prospect for uh you know jefferson county students and uh, people that are prospective jefferson county students because as we know jefferson county the panhandle in general getting a lot of influx of uh, new residents every single day and I, I'll, I don't think i'll ever forget the one text uh, we got during a panhandle live we were talking about the apple drop in downtown martinsburg uh, for new year's eve and somebody said, you know, we should make it the townhouse drop uh, for how many townhouses are going up around here. It still makes me laugh. I think I think about that. I've thought about that every day uh, since that texter proposed that text. And again, you can always get in touch with me on our text line, 304-263-4321, 304-263-4321. But Berkeley County Delegate... Eric Householder, he's going to be stepping in as House Majority Leader uh, this week, and it's a role that you know he views kind of as a promotion. He joined Panhandle Live recently to talk about it. As a promotion, because I'm moving into that number two spot, I'm able to help make facilitate more decision making. Yeah, I, I enjoyed finance. I, I loved it doing the finance committee, but you know I, I've been doing it for four years, and I thought, hey, look, could could my talents be used somewhere else? So that that was one of the key aspects. I was I was very happy that uh, Speaker Hanshaw uh, selected me for the majority leader. Now, Householder, he uh, feels that there's going to be a pretty strong eastern panhandle influence in the state legislature this year. And here's some of his words on that. It's going to allow some of our leaders to focus on areas where they best do the work. So we do have some new chairman and vice chairman. It not only keeps, you know, like fresh voices and uh, fresh perspective front and center, but it also builds our bench up for our future leaders. One of my roles that I was fortunate enough, I was able to help pick the chairs and vice chairs for the Eastern Panhandle. George Miller, George, I believe, is the vice chair of agriculture. Chuck Horse will be the new chair of natural resources. Don Forrest will be the uh, vice chair of political subdivision. Mike Hike, he'll be on finance, and so will Chuck Horse. Wayne Clark, he's the new vice chair for uh, the new economic development and tourism committee. And John Hardy is the vice chair of finance, just going to build our bench even stronger for the Eastern Panhandle. And I think that is just massive for, uh, you know, us here in the Panhandle because uh, forever it's always been, you know, Morgantown, Charleston centric. Of course, those are the big hubs, the big cities in the state. And that's where a lot of the people are located. So, uh, you know, a lot of things focus around there, the schools and, you know, the, the businesses and the organizations around the big cities are going to get a lot of the attention. But with, you know, the population growth that we've had here in the Panhandle, that's just exploding almost every day, it seems. Uh, finally having kind of that that say, you know, down in Charleston to kind of voice our, you know, our wants, our needs, our questions, our frustrations is, is critical because, uh, you know, we are one of, if not the main, you know, entryway into the state at this point. Because a lot of people are still leaving the cities, leaving Baltimore, leaving D.C., uh, leaving the like in, you know, droves, especially after COVID. People don't have to, uh, you know, go to work every day, don't have to go into the office. Of course, that there was the uh, initiative, I believe, right before COVID or during COVID, uh, having people move in and then you get a couple of tax breaks and things of the like. Shepherdstown was one of those towns involved, a couple ones down towards the uh, bottom of the state. I think maybe even Morgantown uh, also was one of those. So having that kind of representation 
representation, having that kind of say in uh, the state capitol is critical. And, uh, well, I hope that it ends up working out the way that it seems like everybody wants it to, especially uh, Berkeley County de- Delegate Eric Householder uh, is talking about it going. So, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? How do you feel finally having kind of that uh, that big representation down in Charleston? You can let me know, 304-263-4321. Do you think it's going to be ultimately ultimately be a good thing? I think, I mean, I don't know how it can't be a good thing, especially, I mean, any any shine, any spotlight uh, towards the panhandle, I think is a good thing because we have a lot of good things going, but we could also use some updates on things. Specifically, you see the road work all the time. Although I did go down to uh, Winchester fairly recently for some things and, uh, you know, I was taking 81 down through there, going through, um, you know, uh, South Berkeley and things. And it's nice to finally start seeing that road work uh, start to somewhat come to an end I guess there's really no end in sight uh, for that but it's starting to get uh, you know nice and smooth through that part of the uh, 81 corridor and of course up here in the northern Berkeley County and things uh, it's all starting to get shaped up as well so uh, what are your thoughts how do you feel about the uh, newfound representation the big representation for the eastern panhandle down in Charleston you can let me know on our tw- on our text line at 304-263-4321 of course don't forget coming up here in a little bit going to be speaking with some of the folks from Berkeley County Schools talking about equity and inclusion Uh, which is uh, pretty critical in general, but it's turned into a pretty big thing uh, around the country, not just here in the state of West Virginia, but around the country and a lot of our uh, school districts and things of the like. So I'll step aside here for a few minutes, come back with more Panhandle Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, part of the Panhandle story for 75 years. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton & Janelle, full-service law firms from West Virginia and Maryland. You can visit their historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at SuttonAndJanelle.com. I am Jordan Nice Warner, and here's a uh, something to put on your calendar for uh, a little bit later on in the year over at the Eastern West Virginia Regional Airport. They're going to bring uh, their air show back, the West Virginia's greatest air show, a centennial celebration of Shepherd Field. It's going to be set for August 26th and 27th. Now, back in November of last year, uh, folks might remember, Berkeley County Council, they approved the allocation about $300,000 to the Eastern West Virginia Regional Airport. Now, this was for an outdoor education center uh, and to prove or provide rather support uh, for the air show uh, to be held at Shepherd Field uh, this coming August of 2023. Uh, and it's a pretty big deal. Now, of course, that funding came from the county's Quality of Life Fund, but that, you know, puts another question into my head. Now, when I was moving down here, one of the big things uh, for me, especially moving to downtown Martinsburg, was proximity to the train station. Now, uh, there were talks, especially during COVID, when uh, you know nobody was really using it to get back into the city to go to work and go to their offices and things, uh, that they might you know stop running a train here. Now, of course, that didn't happen. But my question is, why not have you know, trains that go back and forth, maybe just one or two a day at, you know, a normal time, not at six o'clock in the morning and then come back at nine o'clock at night. So uh, you can you know go down for the day and then come back and not have to be kind of handcuffed by those certain times. And uh, going back to the Eastern West Virginia Regional Airport. Now, I know that there's a ton of hoops and a bunch of construction that probably needs to be done and FAAs and, you know, things like that. But uh, why not you know, open it up to like how Hagerstown's airport is. You can hop on a plane, go down to Florida. You know, that's uh, 
like Thursday, I think Thursday to Saturday, Thursday to Thursday are the uh, flights to and from Hagerstown to whether it's Pittsburgh, uh, anywhere down in Florida, different places uh, along the Allegiant, I think, airlines. But what do they have to do to get that to happen in Martinsburg? Now, of course, I think that the, you know, um, airlift wing probably uh, puts a little bit of uh, a tough spot in that because you don't want to interfere with any of their trainings and things but uh, and maybe the air well, the, well I think now that I think about it the runway's got to be long enough for you know a plane to do anything because of the uh, airlift wing you know being there so my question is what are the why can't there be any just normal commercial flights out of Martinsburg if it's happening you know in uh, Hagerstown and different regional airports uh, around and it of course there are the private planes that come in and out of Martinsburg regional airport all the time but or West, Eastern West Virginia Regional Airport all the time here in Martinsburg. But you know, I just want to hop on a plane here, just go down the road and get to Florida or do something now like you can up in Hagerstown without having to go to Hagerstown. And I'm going to be able to hop on a train at the Martinsburg train station and, you know, go to D.C. around like, I don't know, say 10 o'clock in the morning and then come back around 6 o'clock at night or 6 o'clock in the afternoon, somewhere along those lines. So would you use those two services if they were available? Would you hop on the train to go to D.C. to go see a show, go see a ball game, go just, you know, hang around the uh, National Mall if there were, you know, normal, um, I don't know, not commuter line, normal just passenger train lines coming out of Martinsburg? And would you use the airport for, you know, your regional airline travel? I think I would. I know I would, especially with the train, because we all know that driving in and around D.C., get on the Beltway, then you got to try and find a place to park, and then you got to walk around and deal with all that, or you're just driving in to uh, Shady Grove or College Park, and you're hopping on the Metro, and then you got to sit on that train for six hours while you hit 47,000 stops along your way and then finally get, you know, into Metro Center or wherever you're trying to go. Would you use those services uh, if they were available a little bit more frequent wait you can let me know on our text or call line 304-263-4321 304-263-4321 but over at the eastern regional airport they're going to be having the west virginia's greatest air show a centennial celebration of shepherd field which is set for august 26th and 27th and if you go back to our panhandle news network facebook and spotify page click on uh, the panhandle live segments you can go back and listen to a ton of the conversations we've had with nick deal ceo of the eastern West Virginia Regional Airport, and he's a part of the International Council of Air Shows, which sounds pretty cool. Uh, talking about booking the several acts for the air show, and this is the first time that they've done it, you know, in over ten years. Now, of course, the uh, pandemic had something to do with that. I'm sure. I mean, I, I don't know anything uh, that goes into booking air shows, putting air shows on. It seems like it's a pretty significant effort, so that probably has something to do with it, too. Uh, but in the journal, Nick Deal goes on to say, air shows are family-friendly events, and this particular air show will feature several aircrafts from the early days in aviation to the present, and will feature several military aircraft as well. We know from past experience that we have in attendance not only people from the Quad State area, but people from all over the East Coast. It's an exciting time to showcase the Eastern Panhandle, but especially Eastern West Virginia Regional Airport. So be ready for an influx of people. They're saying uh, maybe about 50,000 people potentially because that's what they had back in 2008, which would be pretty neat. Now, if you're a aircraft aficionado, uh, these are some of the planes that are expected to be in the air show. Now, I don't necessarily know uh, what any of these look like or uh, you know what they have in store for us in the air, but you got P-51 ones c47s uh, a b25 bomber i kind of know what that one is that's a really big one a vampire jet goodness 
Never heard of that. That sounds scary if you're uh, in the field of battle. C-17, uh, C-35. So the, uh, the the skies around Martinsburg are usually pretty filled up, especially with the airlift wing and that big old airplane, which, by the way, they have been going so late with some of these uh, practice flights with that big. I can't think of what the, uh, the plane is called now, but you know what I'm talking about, uh, the big military plane, cargo plane that flies around. But man, those things have been going pretty late. A buddy of mine, uh, just uh, him and his wife just recently had their first baby, a, a newborn, and they live pretty close to the uh, the path of the you know airlift wing in the Eastern Regional Airport. And every once in a while, uh, he'll send me and another buddy of mine a text and be like, man, these guys are flying pretty late. My daughter does not like it. So I don't necessarily uh, envy that too much. But, uh, you know, interesting that uh, they've been going so late. Maybe just to try and get that extra, uh, you know, maybe practice in the nighttime. I'm sure that's probably what it is. And I wonder... I wonder if me and Marsha would be ever be able to, because we've chatted with some folks from the airlift wing a couple of times here on Panhandle Live. I wonder if we'd be able to get on one of those. Do you think they do? Uh, think they would allow media onto one of their uh, trips around? Because it would be pretty cool. You'd see some pretty cool sights just flying circles around the area, around the Panhandle. I have to work on that a little bit. But uh, again, to wrap things up about the Eastern Regional Airport, uh, they have their greatest air show, a centennial celebration of Shepherd Field, coming up August 26th and 27th. First time in 10 years they've had it, looking to have around 50,000-plus people uh, in attendance for that one to see uh, you know, uh, planes from all over the timeline of aviation. So that'll be pretty neat uh, here in the summer. And there's all kinds of cool events coming up that uh, I've been hearing whispers of. That's the first one that I've really seen a, a confirmed date, per se, but there's a lot of really interesting events uh, on the way here in Martinsburg for the summer. And briefly, uh, Clint Clint uh, Gage, our, one of our news guys, you uh, have heard him on the newscast so far this morning. Uh, he put an uh, article in our uh, stack here about a Jefferson County uh, resident that passed away on Sunday at 92. And, uh, you know, he was explaining to me how, uh, you know, big of a deal it was. It was James William Casey. Now, he was born on March 11th, 1930 in Boyce, Virginia. And Mr. Casey, he was a titan in West Virginia racing uh, industry as an owner, a trader, a breeder. I'm talking about horse racing here. Uh, as talented competitors, you know, there's so many. You can't necessarily name them all uh, in the time we have here. But the impact on the industry, he had nearly impossible uh, to put into words. So Mr. Casey will definitely be missed. Our thoughts and prayers go to his family, James Williams Casey of Charlestown, West Virginia. Passed away on Sunday at the age of 92. But we'll step aside and come back and be chatting with some of the folks from Berkeley County Schools here on Panhandle Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Live, the voice of the Panhandle. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full-service law firms from West Virginia and Maryland. You can visit their historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I am Jordan Nice Warner, and I have my next guest joining me in studio from Berkeley County Schools. It's Dr. Jessica Alfonso and Travis Williams in to talk about equity and inclusion. So first off, welcome in, y'all. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So before we really get into, I guess, the uh, the big topics, explain to people, you know, a little bit more about equity and inclusion. Now, we were talking before the break. Uh, my sister, she's a lead equity teacher over in Maryland in Washington County Schools. And it seems like the, 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 the role, I guess, is still kind of in, in, in the works. Everybody's still trying to kind of figure out where to go with it and what to do and things like that. So explain to people that just might be now hearing about equity and inclusion in the schools what that means 
Well, I'll say equity, you know, equity is fairness. And when, when you hear the word inclusion, it's just, you know, it's just how it sounds included. So we feel like our role um, is to make sure all students feel like they're treated fairly and they feel included. And how do you think that that's been going here in uh, Berkeley County Schools thus far? I think it's been going well. I know that it's important that all school leaders and educators know that they're to provide a safe and conducive learning environment to all students. And so as we learn of new barriers, we immediately go into those schools and speak with the people involved so that we can learn how to provide specific supports. Mm -hmm. So does that mean you guys are going out to all the schools and checking in periodically, or is there kind of an open lane of communication between you and maybe the administration at the schools or teachers and maybe even students at the schools that kind of see something, say something type of thing? Is that kind of how the role keeps continuing on? So since we both started this position together, we visit every school and we have uh, programs in each programmatic level. We work with students on the high school level, trying to get them into rigorous courses, students who wouldn't um, think that they qualify otherwise because they weren't selected by their teacher, maybe by the fifth grade matrix. But just because they weren't selected then doesn't mean they don't have the capability to, to do it. And rigorous courses is like CTE courses, AP courses, foreign language courses, dual credit courses. Um, we're going as low as seventh grade. So we work with the middle schools. We'd like to see our eighth graders in foreign language courses. We'd like to see um, a lot of our freshmen in um, career technology education courses. Um, and we also work with our student athletes who play ball for the county and we want to see their capability of playing ball for college and then getting getting them prepared for college level um, coursework. So how has the response been, I guess, from the county or from the schools that you've been in contact with? From what we've seen, the response has been great. Um, entering all the schools, people are happy to see us. Um, and we seem like we put a smile on pieces, people's face when we're there. So mm -hmm. the response has been great. Now, what have some of the hurdles been uh, in your, you know, in this school year, I guess, because uh, we were talking during the break and it seems like since COVID uh, has kind of come and can you say gone? I guess you can't really say gone at this point. It's still, uh, you know, meandering around at this point. But uh, what have some of the hurdles been for you so far? I would say some of the hurdles, like you mentioned, COVID um, and just getting over COVID, we've we've realized there are a lot of mental health issues um, in the school. So just trying to identify that and figuring out what's the best practice to um, help these children and support them. So that, that's been a tough uh, hurdle across the board at, at all pro, pro, programmatic. <laughs> programmatic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the ways that we've tried to resolve that is we oversee the PASS program, which has significantly declined in um, volunteers, if anybody's interested in volunteer. Now, what is that program? Um, PASS is a mentoring program, typically a, a volunteer who is, um, meets the criteria uh, and the background uh, check. They come in to a school and they meet with a student who's been recommended to have a mentor for 30 minutes a week, every day, um, every week, mm -hmm. same day, same time, every week. And, um, you know, these students typically have poor attendance poor grades or poor behavior. And the goal is to increase their motivation for school. And so since COVID, that number has declined for outside volunteers. So we've been going into the schools from eighth grade to ninth, 
12th grade and recruiting student volunteers hmm. and um, principals are recommending students and then the coordinator in the school is training that student and they will be paired with a student in need and we just believe that you know there are a lot of mental health issues and people just need positive relationships and trustworthy and reliable relationships um, we want to increase attendance and increase students' um, self-esteem to come to school. Well, you said there, uh, you know, the same time, same place, you know, every week. And that's, uh, I think, a very important thing to say. And especially when you talk about kids, they might have attendance issues, you know, behavioral issues just uh, in general, the broad statement. Having that, you know, set time, set place, having that, you know, uh, knowing that that's going to be there for them every week is critical for a lot of these students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just that consistency in their life. Yeah. And attendance has decreased since COVID just because, you know, when is sick too sick to come to school? Um, you know, there's a lot more caution and we're staying home for lesser symptoms mm -hmm. uh, and we're still readjusting to that. But we do want our students to be in school. They can only be successful academically if they're in the building. Again, speaking with Dr. Jessica Alfonso and Travis Williams talking about equity and inclusion uh, here in Berkeley County Schools. Now, if somebody, you know, out there driving around this morning listening is thinking, how can I help promote equity and inclusion in my household? How can I, you know, start that conversation? What are some of the ways to do that? Maybe, you know, around the breakfast table, around the kitchen table, things of the like. I think parents or um, even children can talk about just their own experiences within the school building. Um, and we have a student advisory team where our students um, at each high school, we have about four students at each high school come and give us um, their insight on the experiences that they're dealing with and just bringing that awareness to someone so who, who's willing to listen. So if students can tell their parents, this is what I'm dealing with. And it, even if it's not your own experience, again, we only have four students at each high school. So we, we um, let them know that you're speaking for pretty much their entire high school. So even if you witness something that a friend's going to um, going through, just bring it up. And um, hopefully whoever you're bringing it up to can get it to the right person so that we can find a solution to whatever's going on. And it's not always a, a bad thing. We want to yeah. hear about the positives as well. We have a student, we have teacher liaisons at every building as well. And they also provide us insight with some of the things that are going on in schools. And um, we want to make sure, again, like all students feel comfortable and safe and included and represented in their in the building, mm -hmm. in their classroom. Um, we believe that they will excel better when they feel safe and represented and valued as people. And um, that comes also from within. So we work on um, getting after school clubs and middle schools and high schools so that there is a sense of inclusivity in the school after instructional time for mm -hmm. students um, who identify in particular groups. Now, you mentioned, too, a little bit earlier about uh, athletes. Now, of course, you can listen. Uh, shameless plug at 8.05 every morning between 8 and 9, Panhandle Sports Live with myself, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. And, uh, you know, there's so many great athletes, you know, around the Panhandle. But it seems like, and in my personal experience, you know, you have those great athletes that sometimes once they, you know, get out of school, things get a little different. You get out of that kind of... Um, I guess, nest that is your school. What are, you mentioned a couple of the programs with your, uh, with the athletes. What are some of those different programs? So one of the programs that we sponsor is the sports combine. And about June, we'll have our student athletes 
uh, show their talent, and there will be college coaches and high school coaches and scouts using a criteria or matrix of some sort uh, showing whether they are qualifiable to play ball on the college level. And then we talk to their teachers and school counselors and administrators to get them on that track. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I'll ask you this, too. Uh, I remember seeing it was a pretty viral, I guess, um, image online. It was uh, a baseball field, and it was these three kids standing behind the fence. I don't know if you saw it, and they're on different boxes, and it kind of showed the difference uh, between, I guess, equity, and uh, now that I'm saying it, 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 it's all escaping me. But how does that kind of uh, shape out? Is that a good kind of barometer of what equity and inclusion is? Yes. So it's trying to show you the difference between equity and equality. Yeah. Um, so you'll see that there's a taller student and then an average size student and then the shorter student. The taller student doesn't need a box to see over the fence. The average size student needs one box and the shorter student needs two boxes. All of our students come from different backgrounds and they all have different unique needs and that's provided in the schools through specific interventions tailored to those students needs. So um, something that another student needs behaviorally, another student might not need because they have um, resources and um, support at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, and it, You know, part of equity and inclusion for us is we recognize that we have students from low socioeconomic homes who need more support than those who come from affluent two-parent family homes whose parents have higher education than high school. Um, It's just a matter of learning what the barriers are Mm -hmm. in each building. And, um, you know, the funny, the interesting thing about equity is it's a societal issue that's constantly evolving. So Travis and I can't always know what those barriers are. And we are faced with new barriers weekly that, you know, seem unfathomable. And it's like, well, we definitely have the passion to try to resolve that issue, but there's just not one answer for some of these issues. And you have to look deeper and, um, Oftentimes, these big problem issues need to be fixed from ground up Mm -hmm. and then also from top down. So, yes, you mentioned about how do families start talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, um, these types of things at home to help support just kindness and acceptance and um, no shame. It's sad that a child would feel shamed for what they look like or where they're coming from. We want our um, students to have a sense of resilience so that they can excel in school. Absolutely. Again, speaking with Dr. Jessica Jessica Alfonso, Travis Williams, Berkeley County uh, Schools, talking about equity and inclusion. Now, just a few minutes left before we have to get to the final break of the hour, but let people know uh, where they can go to find out more. Maybe if they have questions to ask, maybe if they, uh, if you guys want them to get in touch with you, or you said you were looking for volunteers in the schools as well. Yes, they can go to www.berkeleycountyschools.org backslash equity. That's our landing page. And we do have a forms uh, sheet on there that they can sign up to become part of our community advisory team. We work very closely with the Berkeley County Schools Diversity Committee um, Council, and we are working on some after-school programs with them to work on some self-esteem One of our pilot schools will be North Middle School. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of members from the community who are interested in being resources to that club that we'd like to extend to a county platform. 
Well, uh, this might be a tough question to answer, but uh, how do you feel about kind of the status of Berkeley County Schools in terms of equity and inclusion? Are you optimistic, maybe slightly, you know, apprehensive in things or just, you know, ready to be persistent and try and find answers and, you know, solutions to these problems? I'm very optimistic. I would say both optimistic as well. Sorry. We have the um, most diverse county in the state of West Virginia. And I know that we have uh, educators and school leaders who absolutely love our students and our school communities and um, care about their growth in every possible way. And I I have confidence in our leaders. If there are issues, we're here to provide support to families and schools. And I think it's critical to have, you know, folks like you and then, of course, the student liaisons in the schools to be able to voice those opinions and to voice those concerns and problems and issues. Or, like you said, the good things that are also happening uh, in a lot of these schools, too. Um, And if you uh, missed any of this conversation, you can listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network, Facebook and Spotify page. Uh, Dr. Alfonso, Mr. Williams, thank you for joining us. uh, Joining us. Marsha's not here. Thank you for joining me on Panhandle Live this morning. Uh, And, well, have a great rest of your day. Thank Thank you you so much. And stick around for more after the break on WPM and WCS. The Panhandle News Network. You're listening to my Uncle Dormasa on WEPN. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full-service law firm. So, West Virginia and Maryland, you can visit their historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I am Jordan Nice Warner. Before the break, we had Dr. Jessica Alfonso and Travis Williams in from Berkeley County Schools to talk about equity and inclusion and some of the things they have going on in the schools here in Berkeley County you know, to promote equity and inclusion. And there was a lot of great, great information in that uh, conversation we had just a few minutes ago, which you can listen back to a little bit later on over on our Panhandle News Network, Facebook and Spotify page, because that's an important conversation that, you know, sometimes is a tough conversation when, you know, I don't think it necessarily needs to be. And if you start the conversation early enough or just frequently enough, be persistent with it, you know, what could be or what may be a tough conversation turns into a very easy conversation with, you know, possibilities to find answers and solutions to different problems. And like, uh, you know, Travis uh, Williams said, there's not just, you know, they're not just looking for the bad things going on. There's also a lot of great things happening as well. So like I said, you can listen back to that uh, conversation a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. Of course, Hoppy Kerchival, uh, statewide talk line coming up uh, complete or uh, coming up after uh, we complete here on Panhandle Live. And he's down at the state capitol because he's got sessions starting up and it's a uh, pretty big one here. And I want to go ahead and play the cap- the Metro News Capitol Report with Jeff Jenkins, kind of giving you an over review of what to expect down to state capitol. State Senate plans to hit the ground running on this, the first day of the 60-day regular legislative session. Both the Senate and House will gavel in at noon. There'll be the usual ceremonial dealings. Roger Hanshaw will be nominated and re-elected as House Speaker and Craig Blair will be re-nominated and re-elected as Senate President. After that, Blair says the Senate plans to get to work and pass almost two dozen bills that passed the Senate unanimously last year, but for various reasons were not taken up and weren't passed by the House of Delegates. We have a thing that we do since I've become Senate president, and that is we launch every bill over to the House. This is no disrespect to the House. This is just my way of doing things. Of If the bill's passed 100 percent, whereas Democrat, Republican, I don't care. If it was a good idea and we got it out, 
then we launch them back over the House on the first day. Suspend the rules. Last year, I was hoarse. One of those bills expected to be a measure the Senate passed unanimously last year that raises the reimbursement rate that the Public Employees Insurance Agency pays to hospitals across the state that treat PEIA-covered patients. I'm Jeff Jenkins on Metro News, the voice of West Virginia. And, of course, Hoppy Kirchival on Statewide Talk Line is down at the state capitol. If you go over to his Twitter page, he's got a couple of great pictures kind of showing his setup where he's at in the state capitol, which is an unbelievable setup. Go figure. I mean, Hoppy's going to definitely get, uh, you know, a top spot, uh, you know, sitting there, you know, broadcasting live. But there's also a pretty spectacular uh, selfie that he has up on his Twitter page. Uh, if you go to at Hoppy Kirchival, uh, you scroll down a little bit, you'll see his selfie. And it's a... Uh, it's definitely a selfie you would expect your, you know, parent to send you, maybe your dad to send you, maybe in a little bit of a rough angle, a little low, right? He's looking at uh, trying to get a statue in the background with him, uh, but it's pretty good stuff, and I'm sure he's going to have tons and tons and tons of information, uh, you know, to share with the state capitol and different things. You have the uh, the governor. He has an address tonight. I believe that's at 7 o'clock. We'll have that here on uh, the Panhandle News Network a little bit later on today to uh, get you all informed on the things going on down at the state capitol, which uh, certainly are um, a lot of things happening. And like I said, if you missed any of the show today, you can listen back a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. You can always get in touch with us. You can text us anytime you like, 304-263-4321, 304-263-4321. Uh, if you missed any of the show, we had uh, D- Dr. Jessica Alfonso, Travis Williams in to talk about equity and inclusion. And other than that, just been kind of me uh, yapping away for you know the last couple of minutes. So I will stop uh, yapping away like I have been all morning long and step aside. And like I said, Happy Kirchville coming up next here on the Panhandle News Network. I'm Jordan Nice Warner. Have a great day. Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.